This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast, the first of 2024. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, Jason Ratliff here, joined by Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra, Jonathan Mayo, starting this year in style, not with us, uh, overseas, in Italy. Jim, did you give them give them any scouting reports? I think uh, he, he's kind of following in your footsteps there, right? I think he went to a different area of Italy I thought you both went to Sicily. We were in I, th- I think Jonathan's in Sicily. Well, maybe he did. I, 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 gave, him, I gave him no, no, no advice. I, I was here. I was... I was here if he needed it, but he did not ask for any, so I did not okay. give him. Did not give him. All right. Well, no advance scouting from, from Jim. Uh, so looking ahead to this year, 2024, we're going to talk about some of the debuts that we're excited to see. Uh, we'll take a look at the – well, so first, Jim, Jonathan, and Sam did a story where they identified a player per organization – uh, that they're excited to see debut in 2024. So you can check that out on MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, we're going to go through division by division, pick one of the more interesting guys from the division and try to put a uh, an ETA when we can expect them. Because, you know, in the story, we're just saying we were excited to see these guys at some point in 2024. But I want to know, and I bet some of you out there want to know when, when specifically are we going to see these guys. So we'll dig into that a bit. We'll also take a look back, kind of, but we're kind of looking forward with this too, because we're going to talk about six teams whose farm systems improved the most in 2023, and that's kind of forward-looking in that those teams are bound to be on the rise when we put out our farm system rankings here uh, within the next month or so. Wow. And uh, we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag, which will pertain to the international signing period which opens in uh, less than two weeks from now january 15th as kind of a preview of that uh, but more of a review of last year's signing period we're going to look at uh, some players who signed last year over the past year and excelled in their pro debuts all right so sam uh thanks for joining us here and i've now seen you I have a streak now. I've seen you every day this year, January first and second. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how long the streak goes. But yesterday, I saw Sam plunging into the icy waters of the ocean in the in the uh, Coney Island polar bear plunge. That that was your yeah. That, that, was that your makes debut. it sound like that was your debut, right? No, I, I had done that before. Oh yeah. Um, I, oh, I so, I did that like seven that. years ago or so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that makes it sound like I was the only one to do it. You also jumped <laughs> in, Jason. You didn't just watch me do it. You also participated. You were right there <laughs> alongside true. me, Coney Island. That's true. Yeah. And so is this going to be like the New York Marathon then, where the commissioner presents you like, like there's a photo op of everybody who did the should, Yeah, you should. Yeah. Like, and like instead, of, uh, instead of your uh, 
New York City Marathon medals. It's a, a, a polar bear pelt. Probably not. We probably shouldn't do that. I'll graciously, graciously That'd be a great accept picture. if they're offering. You know, I'm, I'm available to take a polar bear pelt. Not a real one. Maybe a fake one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for the polar bears out there. But yeah, uh, yeah was, uh, I will accept anything for honoring our efforts yesterday. Sam and I and... Were there other MLB employees yeah, taking the plunge? Yeah, in fact, we were there with Benjamin Hill, uh, who I'm sure many of our listeners know from the, the king of all things off the field in minor league baseball uh, and some, some things on the field. But yeah, he was there and then uh, thousands and thousands others. And I, I'm going to guess there were other folks from MLB there, but and I'm not aware of any. Are you aware of any, Sam? Not, not that I'm aware of, no, yeah. but you know, just the, like you said, the hundreds or maybe even thousands of people do that plunge every year. I'm sure somebody else was there. Oh, sorry. It's yeah. a very fun event. We'll have to have you c- come down for it next year, Jim. Yeah. It's uh, well, I, I was busy throwing out my back, so it wouldn't have been a good day to, 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 to do the polar bear plunge. I would, I would, it would make my back lock up more and you guys would have had to drag me. Wait a second, Jim, bottom. you're, you're, um, you're having, so. uh, you're, aren't you having water heater? trouble now you you could do your own polar bear plunge yeah it's been it's been an eventful it's been a mix of like extremes so i threw out <laughs> my back on new year's eve just reaching down to pick something up our hot water heater went bad so that's getting fixed right now on the positive side the the, the fantasy football league i care the most about i won the championship for the first time in wow. 21 years despite going seven and seven in the regular <laughs> season I set a record for playoff scoring. So that was exciting. My daughter's uh, alma mater, I know Sam, I I guess wasn't as pleasant for you. Washington won a dramatic uh, college football playoff game to go to the championship. And uh, hopefully Matthew Leach isn't listening, but my my alma mater smoked Matthew Leach's beloved Florida State 63-3 in an unwatchable Orange Bowl. So it's been a, it's been a, a few days of, of highs and lows, uh, like like a lot going on here in, in in suburban Chicago. Well, back to the highs now. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk baseball. We're gonna talk prospects that we're excited to see debut in twenty twenty four. Let's uh, start in the AL East, and this is probably the one that most people are most excited about, and probably also most curious to know when this one is going to happen. Uh, Jackson Holiday, baseball's number one prospect. The MLB pipeline hitter hitting prospect of the year last year, minor league baseball hitting prospect of the year. We expect to see him in 2024. There's been talk about him potentially making the opening day roster. Jim, what do you think? Let's put a a specific ETA on him. Uh, Even, even beyond just, is he going to be on the opening day roster? Unless that's in fact your prediction. And then we have our date there. (laughs) You want me to tell (laughs) you what day opening day is? What time he'll be at? Yeah. Yeah. When will he get his first at bat? Like I have to look at the schedule. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast in the past. I am probably a little bit more, I I could not be more bullish on Jackson holidays upside, like in, in a rare correct prediction that we summarized in the last podcast, I predicted at the beginning of last year that Jackson Holiday would be the best prospect in baseball. Like, and I'll probably never get that prediction right again. But anyway, I, I'm I'm Mr. Jackson Holiday. I'm on the bandwagon as much as anybody as a prospect. Unbelievable year. I, I don't think we've seen a guy in his first full season of professional baseball jump 
as far and as well as Jackson Holiday did since A Rod and A Rod A Rod got to the big leagues. That said, you know the Orioles are pretty loaded with middle infielders, and they have a bunch of options. They have and none of these guys. I'm not claiming they're better than Jackson Holiday, but they have Orhe Mateo. They have Gunnar Henderson bouncing between short and third. They have Ramon Urias. They have Joey Ortiz, who's a really good defender. Jordan Westbrook's got a play somewhere, perhaps. So that's what I just rattle off five infielders for second, third, and short right there, not counting Jackson Holiday. I don't think he's going to make the opening day roster. He only played 18 games in AAA. They have other options. They're trying to win. I think it makes sense to let him spend some time in AAA. I, I think he could hold his own in the big leagues if he was on the opening day roster, but the Orioles have other options. They don't need him to hold his own. They're trying to win. I think I don't think I'm going to say I don't think he makes his opening his debut on opening day. I know Sam's going to pick earlier rather than later, no matter what day I pick. But I'm going to say I'm going to say May 15th. I, th- I think he spends six weeks in AAA. I know you have the prospect incentive if he makes the opening day roster or gets full year service time and wins rookie of the year. They can get an extra pick like they did with Gunnar Henderson. But it's, I mean, only one guy can win Rookie of the Year. That's kind of a long shot. And I think you're almost better served in his case. If you have other options, he hasn't spent a lot of time. I'd rather push his free agency back a year and let him spend six weeks or so in AAA. I mean, you you called it, Jim. Yeah, Jim already predicted my prediction, I guess, which is that I will be taking earlier. I honestly, I feel like he could make the opening day roster. Um, just because, you know, the Orioles know how talented he is. We've seen this the last few years with both Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman. Those guys needed to find their footing in the major leagues before they really took off. Let him get those at-bats in, in March and April. Start him on the opening day roster if you believe he is your most talented shortstop. And, you know, at, like you listed off all those guys that are all great options. Uh, we'll see if the O's make some moves between now and opening day to maybe clear out a little bit of that depth chart, make it easier for Jackson Holiday uh, to start on opening day as they try to get better starting rotation help. But listen, you got the number one prospect in baseball. He looks close to being ready, even if it was just a handful of games at AAA. Throw him out there. Let him see the majors. Let him adjust. Let him take all the notes that he's gathered from his dad's time in the majors and put those to good use. I, I would take earlier. I could still see him maybe getting like three weeks in AAA, but if I had to pick an exact date, I would take opening day right now. All right. Sam goes earlier. We're, we're going to move down the top 100 list, but not very far. Uh, Cause the next guy we want to talk about, we're going to bounce from the AL East to the NL East. And that is Dylan Cruz baseball's number four overall prospect. Sam, your prediction as to when we see him with the Nets. Yeah, uh, this might seem like a little bit of a flip-flop based off what I just said about Jackson Holiday, but I do think these are two different cases here um, because I think Dylan Cruz is talented enough to play in the major leagues right now, but unlike Jackson Holiday, he doesn't have a full season of the minor leagues just yet. Obviously tore the cover off the ball last year at LSU, Golden Spikes winner, uh, number two overall pick, arguably the best hitter in that draft right there with Wyatt Langford, who was a better hitter in the minor leagues, and we'll talk about him later. Dylan Cruz kind of hit a wall at double A at the end of the year. That's a little bit to be expected, given how much he was playing for LSU in the spring all the way to the to the national title game. 
if I'm looking at the Nationals right now, there are some clear lanes for him to get playing time, whether it's in a corner, whether it's in center field for the Nats. They don't have a particularly strong outfield unit right now, but I just think he needs that exposure to AAA uh, for just a little bit of time. I would put his debut, and I do have the Nats schedule up right now, actually. Uh, they play the Dodgers April 23rd. They start a three-game set at home against the Dodgers on April 23rd. I'm going to take that game. There you go. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna be Mr. Conservative here. I, I, I don't think he's going to be up nearly that quickly. Love Dylan Cruz. Small sample sizes, so I'm not going to read too much in his pro debut. But for a guy you know, who, who's known for controlling the strike zone and making contact, struck out a 26% clip, almost three times as much as he walked, didn't really hit in double-A in 20 games. The Nationals aren't going to be good this year. There's no incentive. for You promote him April 23rd. I don't think that's enough for him to get a full year of service time. So that's not going to help you get a draft pick if he were to win Rookie of the Year. I don't think he's up before the I, – I think he spends at least three months in the minor leagues. Um, I, and I do think he'll get there quickly, but I do think he needs time to get acclimated. And there's there's absolutely no rush. You're not going to have him up early enough to try to get the, the prospect pick. And the Nationals aren't playing for anything. So even if he's your best right fielder, maybe they'll try him in center. Who knows? I, I don't see the incentive for pushing him. So I, I feel like we may have a yep. theme here. I feel like NL Central, we're probably going to be in lockstep agreement. But I feel like I'm going to probably be more conservative than you in most yeah, of these. Yeah, I, I think that's so. probably the precedent we're setting here early. And that's that's the way. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, we have four more divisions to go. Let's see. Let's uh, move on to the AL Central. It's going to continue with this one. It's going to continue <laughs> with this one. I'm telling you right now. Well, it, so this is this one we want to talk about. Colson Montgomery of the White Sox, uh, who Jim has only played 37 games at Double A, which uh, I'm guessing you will use to bolster your uh, your viewpoint here and and your more conservative viewpoint. Uh, they lost Manderson seemingly opening up. Uh, an avenue for him, but then brought in Paul DeYoung. Uh, when do you see Colson Montgomery joining the White Sox? I'm going to say after the Futures game, because again, the White Sox aren't going to be contending. There's no reason to to push him quicker than you need to. He's actually played, Jason, you forgot about Project Birmingham in 2022. Oh, that's right. So he's played 51 games in, in AA, but you know, he hasn't had you know he was hurt last year he had some back and oblique issues um came back in the fall league where sam and i both saw him i, I think why well, i swear gee i was gonna say you saw him but you were out in the fall league two years ago not this year he played well in the fall he played much better in the fall stars game he didn't tear it up during the regular season with hitters league so he really hasn't played that much above high a he really hasn't played that many games as a professional he only played 64 games last year they then only brought in Paul DeYoung. They brought in Nicky Lopez. They traded for um, Braden Shoemake. And I think this is one where it wouldn't behoove them. They should push his free agency. I hate talking like this, but it is a business decision. They should push his free agency and arbitration eligibility down the road. There's no point in setting the clock ticking on those earlier than you need to. So I, I'm going to say, like I, personally, I would start him in AA for at least the first four to six weeks of the season, then promote him to AAA. But I think it's going to be after the Futures game. I, I say he plays in the Futures game, and then they promote him to Chicago. This this might be an upset here. I'm going to take later. Uh, wow. Did not see that, that Not because I don't like Colson Montgomery, but actually because I agree with what a, a lot of what you're saying there, 
Jim, about, you know, he hasn't seen double A a heck of a lot yet. He doesn't really have that strong base of success at that level to be like, okay, he's a clear candidate to move like in three weeks if he hits the ball really well in the Southern League. Um, I like him a lot, and I think Chicago, you know, will want to show off the shiny new guy as quickly as they can. I could just see this going away kind of like Gunnar Henderson, not not this year, but two years ago. You bring him up in September, you let him see the major leagues, you let him get acclimated, but he maintains his rookie status going into 2025, where he could very well be the rookie of the year favorite in the American League and can really lead that revival that they're hoping to have on the South side. So uh, I, I'm just going Very later for that purpose. Like I, I just think they might be in a position where they want to preserve his prospect status. Uh, he could easily be slugging like 600 come the, the all-star game uh, and, and the futures game and, and get called up quickly. But for the purposes of this game, I'll say later. I think I think Jim might be uh, trying to get you on a technicality. He he very loosely worded his prediction. He just he just said after the futures game, which it's kind of difficult to pick later. No, I meant like right after. Right, okay. He's going to play right. in the futures okay. game. I know, and then and then they're going to call him up right after that. I, th- I thought you were trying to say. I only, I only try to pull the fast ones on John. I, I just, <laughs> Sam, like with with little prep, agreed to join us on the podcast. So I'm not looking to pull any of the shenanigans I would pull okay. on Jonathan. Good. So. That's no intent there. Okay. NL Central, Sam, uh, Jackson Cheerio, this this one uh, probably largely influenced by the big contract uh, signed over the winter meetings, which uh, certainly has kind of changed the, the pace at which we might see him. Do you think, is it a guarantee that, that we see him on opening day? Uh, I, I wouldn't say anything is guaranteed, uh, but again, for the purposes of this game, I will, I will be taking March 28th at the Mets. That, that is where the Milwaukee Brewers will be opening the season uh, at City Field. And that that's where I think, you know, th- that contract was a clear sign that they're a fan of the player. It's a long-term play. They've said he's going into spring training, competing for a job. It's not necessarily given just because they signed him to a long-term deal, but I think it is a clear sign of, hey, we don't we don't just think of you as the future. We think of you as the present. And I know they are loaded with guys who can play center field between Sal Freelich and Garrett Mitchell, who's coming back off injury. And Joey Weimer didn't have the rookie year that I, I think a lot of people wanted out of him. But he showed he can play a really strong defensive center field. But Jackson Churio has a higher ceiling than any of those guys. He has more power than Freelich. He has a better hit tool than, than Mitchell. Um, he's just as fast as some of those guys. He can really push the envelope you know, in terms of running the bases was a 2040 guy last year as an age 19 player. I think all the pieces are there for the Brewers to start him on opening day. And, and they back that up. They back that confidence up with a lot of money and a lot of years on that contract. Jim, I want to, I want to see you take earlier, earlier or later. I, I want to see you take earlier than opening. I, day. I think they're going to move the season up. They're going to move the season up. I'm going March 27th. <laughs> now I'm going to, I'm just going to concur, but I'm going to go off script slightly. Because Jackson Churio, number two on our list, they also, the NL Central also has number three on our list, Paul Skeens. Sam, I guess I am pulling shenanigans on you now, unscripted. <laughs> unscripted When's Paul Skeens going to debut? When do you think Paul Because because Churio, I think, is an, is a layup for both of us. When do you think Paul Skeens is going to debut? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see both the Nats and the Rangers get really aggressive with the other two big college names from last year's draft with Langford and Cruz. 
Skeens and pitching is just such a different, different animal. You know, he's only going to be pitching maybe once a week. Uh, and he's going to need those reps. Maybe, maybe at Indianapolis, I am going to go late May, May 22nd. Ooh, that's like, I, I I'm actually going to go. That, that's like almost perfect. Like I was going to go, if it was me, I was going to say May 15th. So I guess I, I will go slightly earlier. I, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go slightly earlier. Just because I, I I agree with you, Sam. The pitchers are different, and with the pitchers, it's like if your stuff's going to play, it's going to play. And I think he's just going to go out and, and tear up the minors, and they'll call him. Like they, shoot, that division could be winnable this year too. They've got some interesting young talent in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to say five to seven days slightly earlier on Paul Skeens. All right, bonus player there. All right, let's. Get to the American League West and Wyatt Lankford of the Rangers. Here's a guy who we even last year in his draft year, we heard some chatter about the possibility of him getting called up for the postseason run. Didn't happen, but he certainly he certainly looked like he could potentially help down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, they were never serious. I mean, there was speculation when Garcia got hurt. Uh, Adolis Garcia got hurt late in the postseason that they might might add him to the roster, which would have been insane. And and while I said earlier, I don't really care about debut stats too much because, like Sam pointed out with Dylan Cruz, why why Langford is in the same situation? They both went to the College World Series finals. They were both exhausted. They had a layoff, and they come into pro ball. It's small sample sizes, so you don't really read too much in the debuts. But that said, in forty four games including a five-game stint in AAA. Wyatt Langford hit 360 with a 480 on base, 677 slugging, 10 homers and 12 steals in 44 games. And, you know, we have the top 100 list coming out, and I still go back and forth as much as I love Evan Carter. Who's the best outfield pro- – who's the best prospect on the Rangers system? Is it Evan Carter, who we've already seen what he can do when he won a World Series, or is it Wyatt Langford, who's got a higher ceiling? You know, Langford's in a little bit different situation than almost all these other guys we're talking about. I mean, I guess the Orioles had a very good season last year, too. But it's the defending World Series champions. They don't really have an opening in the outfield, per se. I mean, Leody Tavares plays great defense up the middle. You know, Adolis Garcia's, you know, Evan Carter are in the heart of the lineup, so they don't really have an outfield spot. All that said, I just think Wyatt Langford is so ridiculously good that, you know, he'll force his way into lineup. I mean, they'll be at bats at DH. There could be injuries. So if they were if they weren't as good a team, I would almost pick earlier. But I'm gonna say June 8th. I, I think he's just gonna tear it up and they're gonna be like, even though our lineup's really good, we need to add this guy to our lineup. So I'm gonna say June 8th, even though they're defending World Series champions and have no holes in the outfield. Yeah, well, now I'm going to go back to my script, and and I'm going to take earlier on Wyatt Langford. Um, I I do think there's a real chance he's competing for a job uh, this spring because the Rangers, you know, they want to hit the ground running. They want the best team out there. And Bruce Bochy even talked about this at the winter meetings on MLB Network. He was asked about Wyatt Langford, and and he said, you know, he's special every step of the way. He just kept putting up those numbers. He'll come into spring training. We're going to stay open-minded. It's going to be competitive. He'll have a chance to make the club. It's all performance-based. I don't care how old they are. See why Chris Young doesn't care. If we think they're ready, then they'll be on the team. If Wyatt Langford does what he did at the tail end of last year, and if he did you know, what he did at Florida, I know Leody Tavares, like Jim said, is strong defensively up the middle, was almost a league average bat. 
But if you put Evan Carter in center and Wyatt Langford in left, and then you have Garcia in right, that's one of the strongest outfields in baseball, even if Wyatt Langford needs a little bit of time to adjust, which he's shown he hasn't needed so far in pro ball. Uh, so I think they, they come out firing and, and try to put their best team out there. I'm going earlier than June. Who, who do you like long-term? Better, who's going to have the better career? Wyatt Langford or Evan Oh, Carter? man, we're going to have this out later, too, because we're going to have to talk about our top 100. I, I, have, I have Langford being better. The guy just hits the ball really, really hard. He's shown a selective process at the plate as well. He makes good swing decisions. He's not going to be playing up the middle like Carter, but I just like the impact of the bat a little bit more than Carter, who I love as a player too. He's really, you know, as he showed, it's a, it's a hitting process that carries really well level to level, no matter how old he is. But I just think Wyatt Langford hits the ball so hard that he's going to be the better player overall. I know I'm still conflicted on that. And the crazy thing is Evan Carter is nine months younger than Wyatt Langford. And has a ring. Like we, that's the yeah. thing that keeps, hey, wait, keeps he doesn't back. just have a ring. It's not like, hey, he happened to be up for three days, so he gets a ring. He was a main a big part of the reason they won that right. ring. It's like it's insane. But we should move on because I could talk about Evan Carter for, <laughs> Don't for get half an hour, started. as I've I've done on many. Two thousand twenty four is just like two thousand twenty three. All of them. Yes, yes. All right, let's uh move let's move to the NL West and uh our player we want to spotlight here Padre shortstop Jackson Merrill uh, top 10 overall prospect in baseball at the end of uh, the 2023 season when do you see him making his debut yeah I think this is going to be kind of like what I said earlier with Colson Montgomery which is going to leave a large gap for Jim to choose here Jackson Merrill last year maybe didn't necessarily have the year I would have loved to have seen him have I mean coming out of spring last year it seemed like they were prepared to get super aggressive with him uh he started the year out at high a fort wayne needed a little bit of time to adjust you know it was his age 20 season so he was still relatively young for that moved to double a san antonio by the middle of the year hit above 270 at both spots was showing pretty good strikeout to walk ratios wasn't striking out a ton if you look at where he is going into this year, he's going to probably start out the year at double A, but I think the hit tool is strong enough that he could pick up again, make those adjustments, move out of double A by the middle of the season, get to triple A El Paso. And I think if the Padres rebound in a way that I believe they're capable of doing, they're going to want some help, uh, you know, coming off the bench and Jackson Merrill can certainly provide that. So I'm going to go again with a September debut for Jackson Merrill. We'll say September 1st, you know, the, Rosters expand just a little bit. He'll be one of those roster expansions. They'll want his left-handed bat coming off the bench. Will he push Sandra Bogarts off short? Maybe that's a discussion they have going into 2025. Um, but I think he's just going to be a little extra boost for San Diego's, hopefully, postseason chances for their sake uh, that they can rebound in, in a way that, that I believe they're capable of doing. But I don't see Jackson Merrill necessarily coming up in the first half by any means. The, the NL West was one of the tougher divisions to pick a, a, an exciting debutante. Cause I think Merrill's kind of pushing it, but I will, I'll give him September. All right, Jim, I'm going to, this one's an easier one for me. This one's, I, I'm going to say earlier, I, I think they are going to contend. They, they played, they have enough talent on that team. They should have been better than they were last year. I think they will be better in 2024. Uh, I'm looking at roster resource right now. Matthew Batten is their projected starter at third base. They could shift guys around. I think they're going to contend. I think he's going to be one of their best infield options by the middle of the summer. So I'm going to say earlier. I, I, I feel that that was an easy pick for me. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's up at some point in July. 
All right. There you go. There's a predicted ETA for one of the most intriguing potential 2024 debuts in each division. Uh, We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss the six farm systems that improve the most in 2023. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. First of 2024, I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra sitting in for the absent Jonathan Mayo. Hey, this works out great because Sam wrote a story on the six farm systems that improved most in 2023, and that's exactly what we want to talk about right now. Um, The way that they broke down is uh, a couple of them are sort of are within the top five farm systems or were in our mid-season rank and you know, things have happened since then, uh, but the Brewers and Cubs ranked number three and four. Uh, and then three of the teams on this list are more sort of mid-tier or were at the mid mid-season re-rank. The Padres, number nine, Mets, number 11, and Tigers, number 13. And then there are the White Sox, who were down at number 20, but have made a pretty sizable leap. So, Sam, why don't you start off at, at the top there? Yeah, Uh uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, you know, I think were the breakout system of the 2023 season. I, I wrote that when we did our midseason rankings, uh, you know, farm system rankings update. And then as we sit here now in the offseason, I think that still holds up. That's still true. You look at Jackson Churio, obviously solidifying himself as one of the top two prospects in baseball, with the 2040 season that we talked about earlier. But it's funny looking back that. Jefferson Caro, Jacob Mizorowski, Tyler Black, those guys weren't top 100 prospects at the beginning of last year. They all had some question marks about them. Caro had some injuries. Tyler Black had some injuries. Mizorowski, really special stuff. How is it going to play in the minors? And every single one of those guys checked off the boxes that they need to, to not only just become top 100 talents, but to leap into the upper half of the, the rankings. Caro is one of the best defensive catchers in the minor leagues and, and showed that the bat could play. Mr. Rowski, this stuff was incredible, was my MVP at the Futures game last year with the way his breaking stuff was was working and the the heater was hitting the upper 90s, tough, touching t- triple digits. Tyler Black, one of the best approaches in minor league baseball and showed that he can steal bases in the modern game. Uh, and then you look at some other breakouts, Robert Gasser, Carlos F. Rodriguez were really good at the upper levels as pitchers. Luis Lara, Went the Jackson Trio route, skipped over the ACL completely, moved to single A Carolina. And then their draft was, I think, pretty strong for where they were. Brock Wilkin taking him at 18th overall. He brings some really, real big power to that system. And I know Jim loved Cooper Pratt when they took him in the sixth round and signed him for $1.35 million. So there's more coming. Trio might graduate pretty quickly in 2024 like we talked about earlier but the pipeline continues to move for the brewers and that's why we moved them up to to number three when we did our uh rankings which was a pretty big jump considering they started the year at 15. yeah and i agree with you sam i I thought they were the most improved farm system over the course of the year the nl central has a lot of really good farm systems that probably we haven't broken it down this way 
is the strongest division of farm systems. If we were evaluating it that way, we had the Cubs four in our midseason ranking, and and they were, you know, tenth in midseason twenty twenty two, twelfth going into last season. So they we we knew they were a system on the rise, and I still think they approved. They, what they had they had a nice year where almost all of their best prospects had a positive step forward. Pete Crow Armstrong, his brief big league debut notwithstanding, played well in double A AA and triple A, continued to assert himself as one of the best defenders in the minors. Just from the position side of things, Owen Casey established himself as one of the best power prospects in the minor leagues. Kevin Alcantara got off to a slow start, but rebounded and kind of regained his footing on the top on our prospects list. They got Matt Shaw out of the draft with the, the 13th overall pick. I think Matt Shaw is going to shoot to the big leagues very, very quickly. Moises Ballesteros is a gifted young hitter. James Triantos, really, we saw him take a step forward in the Arizona Fall League. And then pitching, which has been kind of the Achilles heel of the Cubs development system until recent years, big step forward there too. He doesn't have the highest ceiling in the system, but Jordan Wicks pitched very well for the Cubs in Chicago down the stretch. Kate Horton, who's probably the to pitchers, what Evan Carter is to hitting prospects for me. Kate Horton was every bit as good as advertised and is going to probably make an impact this year. Ben Brown took some steps forward. He is pretty nasty stuff. I think Jackson Ferris is one of the best lefties in the minors. So it was just a year where almost all of the development stories were very positive. That's not even counting guys like Hayden McGeary, who established himself as a legit prospect or a youngster like Jefferson Rojas going to low eight age 18. And I, I do think it's possible. We'll have to see how promotions play out that those might be the top two farm systems in all of baseball by the end of 2024. Yeah. And three more that I wrote about real quick, the Padres, the Mets and the Tigers, you know, we were talking about Brewers and Cubs being number three and number four. And like you said, Jim, they could be in the discussion for number one overall uh, once the Orioles graduate a ton of guys, uh, but the Padres, Mets and Tigers kind of move themselves onto the cusp of the, of the top 10 in different ways. The Padres, you know, a few years ago, people thought the Juan Soto deal was going to completely clear them out. And that hasn't been the case because of some nice developmental wins. Obviously, Ethan Salas being the big name there, being the breakout prospect of the year last year, going from a January 15th signee to ending the year at double A uh, as a teenager. But I think the big thing for me for the Padres system last year was the 2022 draft class. Robbie Snelling and Dylan Lesko were really good talents coming out of that draft and looked really good. Robbie Snelling, you know, right there as one of the best statistical pitchers in minor league baseball last year. Dylan Lesko coming off Tommy John surgery. The changeup looked every bit of the 70-grade pitch that we had it coming out of the draft. But you look at guys like Graham Pauly, Jacob Marcy, Nathan Martorella. They weren't big names in the 2022 draft, and now they're on the tips of the tongues of many Padres fans of, like, when can we get these guys to San Diego? So there were some developmental wins there for the Padres. For the Tigers, kind of similar. Uh, I think the big deal for them was just getting health. Colt Keith missed, missed a lot of 2022 with injuries. Jackson Job missed the first half of the season with back problems. When he came back, he looked like a potential maybe even number two starter with the way, you know, his slider is really, really good. And he added a cutter that was effective and the fastballs playing well. Cole Keith club 27 home runs at a 932 OPS at, at AA and AAA. So that was a nice developmental win. And then they add Max Clark, one of the big five in the draft. We'll have to see how that looks in, in years to come. Maybe they got a little too cute by not taking Wyatt Lankford and getting the savings, but still Max Clark is a five tool talent that you add to that system. And the Tigers certainly took a step forward. And the other one is the Mets. 
And I don't mean the Mets necessarily improved from where they were in March to where they are now. Back then, they had Francisco Alvarez. They had Brett Beatty. Those guys graduated, and it looked like they were in for a steep decline. Then they were aggressive sellers at the trade deadline and got to add some really good talents like Luis Angel Acuna, Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford. I really like the deal that brought them Marco Vargas from the Marlins. He's got a really special hit tool. I think he could be a breakout prospect in 2024. Also, some strong steps forward in their pitching department. Christian Scott might be their best pitching prospect now. Mike Vassell is knocking on the door of Queens by the end of the year. And I think Blade Tidwell and Dominic Hamill has some really good stuff when that when it's on and when they have their command. So the Mets, where, where you thought they were in June was that they would be maybe a bottom 10 farm system. Now they're knocking on the door of the top 10. We'll see how they land. Maybe they will be in, in the top 10, but it's certainly a more dynamic and interesting farm system than where we thought they would be a few months ago. Yeah, and I think that's a good way. I mean, a more dynamic, more dynamic and more interesting is, is a good way to describe the White Sox, who were the other team you mentioned in your story, Sam. And the interesting part about them, I think, is like they don't we ranked them 20th in midseason. So they're not they're not a an upper half of baseball farm system yet, but their depth was so low coming into the year. And then in July, between trades and the draft, they added a ton of guys. Like I, I was looking at our list, and I, and I do our White Sox list. Ten of the top nineteen prospects on our White Sox list were not in the organization in July. Um, you know, they, they made trades. They went out and traded for Edgar Caro and Jake Eater and Nick Destrini and Kai Bush. Um, they added another pitcher this offseason who we'll probably make their opening day rotation and Shane Drohan, who was a Rule Five pick from the Red Sox. And then with the draft. You know, they, they took Jacob Gonzalez in the first round. He didn't have a great debut, but they added Grant Taylor and Seth Keener, who are two really interesting pitchers. They got George Wolkow, who kind of slid in the draft for financial concerns and found a way to pay him late. And I do think anybody listening to this podcast in Chicago, where I live, and there's a lot of disgruntled White Sox fans right now, don't want to hear it. But like, I do think that a lot of things did not go well for the White Sox in 2023. But I do think they did add a significant amount of talent to a system that was not particularly deep coming into the year. And I'm not saying, Oh, the white Sox are going to be contenders in 2025, but they needed to make trades. They needed to have a good draft. And, and they did that. All right. Well, speaking of adding talent to systems, that's going to happen in mass uh, in just a little under two weeks as the 2024 international signing period will begin on January 15th. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss that. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. And now a question from Ed Casey. We're going to wrap up here with our mailbag. Uh, and Ed, whose Twitter handle is CaseyWSox, says, With the January 15th International Signing Day approaching, which players from last year's class had some of the most impressive debuts? Ethan Salas's meteoric climb through the Padres system excluded. All right, so takes away the easy answer. 
for you guys. Uh, but there were some some other players from last year's signing class that didn't quite have that same meteoric rise as Salas, who was the number one player, uh, the number one international prospect in last year's class. There were a couple that reached high A, though. Uh, Salas, of course, got the double A, essentially unheard of for a uh, 16-year-old signee um, in his pro debut. But the last year's top 50 list, you look at the top of it, and the guys at the very top in the top 10, by and large, I think all but one of them played last year. Uh, number two, Felman Celestin, uh, who the Mariners signed, did not play, I think had a hamstring injury. Um, but everyone else in the top 10 did, and for the most part, played well. And if they didn't have particularly good numbers, they reached, in, in a couple of cases, high A. Um, Jim, I know you're you're always very cautious about reading much into numbers and players' pro debuts once they sign uh, international prospects, but uh, you're you're not going to argue with with guys playing well right out of the gate. No, I mean, and, you know, the DSL is not a very high level of baseball, and strike throwing isn't great, so you can't read too much into like, oh, guys drawn a lot of walks. That means like he's got a great eye, and the complex leagues too, but what you said is exactly correct. I don't put too much stock into it, but I do think that negative numbers are a red flag. So you obviously want your guys to play well. And, and as you noted, almost all the guys, you know, who were ranked at the top of Jesse Sanchez's international list performed well. Like one of the guys I want to talk to, you, know, you mentioned, you know, guys getting a high A, Sebastian Walcott, and he only played four games there, but he tore up the Arizona complex league had an 849 ops while he was there and it wasn't just even the the stats. I mean, he had seven homers. He had nine steals in 35 games at that level at age 17. And a lot of your international guys, like some of the top guys will come over to the U.S. I mean, that's him making his pro debut, his U.S. debut after nine games in the in the, in the the Dominican Summer League. Like he came over almost immediately. But it, it wasn't just the numbers. It was the way in which he did it. I mean, He's producing exit velocities in excess of 110 miles an hour on a regular basis, which is crazy for a guy that young. His arm from shortstop, you know, you could put a plus-plus grade on the arm if you wanted. You know, he's a solid runner who's faster in terms of straight line speed. I mean, again, small sample size. You know, he, he struck out 64 times in 48 games, so we're going to have to watch that. But in terms of dynamic tools and then, you know, being able to perform – at age 17 in the United States and even have enough to where you can you know, hold your own for a few games in high eighth end of the year. I was really, really impressed with his debut in a summer where we had a lot of strong international debuts. At 17 years old, 6'4", 190 pounds uh, out of the Bahamas. And the only uh, other prospect from last year's uh, international class that ranks in the top 100 prospects in baseball, the other, of course, being Ethan Salas, but Salas, uh, number five overall, Walcott at number 62 and number three on the Rangers top 30. Uh, Sam, hit us with a guy you want to talk about here. Yeah. So for, for me, I'm going to go, I'm going to stay in that, uh, you know, that top 10 area. I'm going to go with Alfredo Duneau, uh, the Reds number 13 prospect right now. 
a catching prospect last year who actually didn't catch. He only DH'd in the DSL uh, while he was rehabbing an injury, an arm injury. They just didn't want to push things. You know, he was only 17 years old. He actually turns 18 uh, on January 7th. So uh, early happy birthday to him. But if he's not going to play defense, he was going to need to hit to catch RI. He certainly did that, hitting 303 with a 451 OBP, 493 slugging. Uh, I know Jim said, and I agree with this, that you can't always trust walk numbers in the DSL because sometimes guys just don't know where the ball is going. But he did walk 38 times, only struck out 41 times in those 45 games. Uh, He's going to be power over hit, it seems like. And the power started to be there. Uh, six homers in those 45 games. So all the pieces are there. And even though we haven't seen him defensively quite yet, he's considered a plus defender with a really strong arm. So we could see him take off to a new level uh, in 2024 once he comes stateside to the Arizona Complex League, once he's fully healthy again. All the pieces are there for him to be a lot more interesting uh, as you know he starts to add de- defensive work to his game as well. You know, was number... I'm going to sneak down the list even. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, before you sneak down the list, Jim, Duno was number four on the international uh, top 50 prospects list heading into last year's signing period, signed for $3.1 million. All right, Jim, sneak down the list. I was going to sneak down the list and, and go for a guy who Jesse Sanchez had number 15 on his list coming into the year, and that would be Rainer Arias of the Giants. He's a son of Pablo Arias who reached AA in the Tigers system as a pitcher and now scouts for the Diamondbacks. And his son was one more physical players in the 2023 international class. Got some comparisons to young Eloy Jimenez, signed for a little under $2.7 million, which was the second highest bonus in franchise history for an international player. And he only played 16 games in the DSL. He sprained a wrist diving for fall, um, so he didn't get to play a whole lot. So it was only 58 at-bats. Anyway, okay, small sample size, Dominican Summer League. But if you're going to have a small sample size in Dominican Summer League, it's pretty impressive when you hit 414 with a 539 on base percentage and 793 slugging percentage, more walks and strikeouts, four homers, four steals in 16 games. I, I actually moved him pretty significantly up the Giants prospect list. I have him at number six on their list uh, at the end of the 2023 season, and the Giants are very excited about what this guy brings to the table offensively. He is going to be a corner guy in the long run. Um, you know, Could be right fielder. He has enough instincts and arm strength to, to handle right field. But this is a guy who in a couple of years could be one of the better hitting prospects in the minor leagues. They're, they're very excited about the way he started his career. All right, Sam, uh, who, do you, who do you want to talk about here? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to sneak back up the list uh, and I'm going to go to the guy who was number five international prospect for us last year. And also is the number five prospect in the Oakland A system uh, at present. That's Luis Morales. Uh, he was the top pitcher on the international market last year, signed with the A's for $3 million. Sometimes, or most of the time, really, when we're talking about international signees for pitchers, they're extremely raw. It's going to take them a while to move. Morales isn't really that. He's already 21 years old. He turned 21 last September, coming out of Cuba, so is more polished than most of these guys. And the A's pushed him accordingly. He started out in the DSL, finished the year at high A Lansing. Across those four levels, had a 2.86 ERA, 53 strikeouts, only 15 walks, 109 whip, 202 batting average against. Uh, The control is clearly there. He knows where the ball is going, unlike many other international signees. He's got a fastball that he can throw up to 99 if he's really rearing back, an above-average slider. All four pitches right now grayed out as having at least average potential. 
So the pieces are there for him to be a, a decent starter. Now is when he starts to build on that. 44 innings, like I said, last year. You hope he can maybe get to 100 this year after starting out again in the Midwest League. That's going to be an interesting experience. Midwest League, it's going to be cold in April when he starts there. How is he going to be able to handle that? We'll see. But for everything you could have hoped for Luis Morales' first professional season stateside, he certainly checked all the boxes and becomes an interesting arm for an A system that needs as many interesting arms as they can get. All right, and Jim, you're going to sneak a little bit farther up the list. Yeah, I'm just following Sam's lead on this. Whichever way Sam moves, I, I go in the same direction. But yeah, I, number three on the list, uh, on their national top prospect list going to last year was Yoendri Vargas, shortstop from the Dominican Republic who signed with the Dodgers for a little over $2 million. And really nice debut for him too. He went to DSL, hit 328, had an op slightly over 950, seven homers, 19 steals in 48 games. You could see tools, you could see instincts. Former switch hitter, he now hits only right-handed. Um, good swing, good approach, focuses on hitting line drives to all fields. He's six foot four. He's going to get stronger. He's got plenty of bad speeds. So I think we're talking 25 home run power once he's physically mature. And though he's bigger than most shortstops, he does have good actions. He moves well to both sides. He's got a strong arm. I think there's a pretty good chance he can stay at short. And if for some reason he can't, I think with when you look at you project him physically and you look at the bat, then he would profile really well at third base too. So he gets overlooked maybe a little bit in the Dodgers system because it's one of the deeper systems out there. And I think it's a little harder for a, a guy making his debut fresh out of the international class to, to rise up the list. He's number 12 on that list, which is, I, th I think, a pretty strong ranking in, in a very deep system. All right. And Sam, a kid who's already been traded, just signed last year and, and already has changed organizations. Yeah, which which made for a fascinating look at him. Uh, it's Jeremy Rodriguez, who we just put onto the Mets list at number 30. He will be bumping up uh, when we do our update here in a few months. Uh, but Jeremy Rodriguez was one of the younger players in the DSL this year, only turned 17 on the 4th of July, and was moved from the D-backs to the Mets pretty quickly after that in the Tommy Pham deal. What I like about Jeremy Rodriguez is he doesn't swing and miss very much, at least for that level and especially for his age. Uh, and that especially came through after the trade. You know, it was a very small sample. He only played 13 ga games for the Mets DSL affiliate. But in those 13 games, he walked 11 times, struck out only four. Showed some good speed, too, with seven steals. It's mostly gap power right now. All the reports we got on him when he first signed with the D-backs uh, for $1.25 million, he was their biggest signing last year, was that power could come for him eventually. It's mostly to the gaps right now. It's going to take a while for that to develop, I think. But the fact that he's making some really interesting swing decisions, he is putting bat on ball, especially relative to his age. It's a strong start for Jeremy Rodriguez. Could play short, could play second base. We'll see how he ends up defensively. But uh, this could end up being, you know, for just a few months of Tommy Pham, a pretty strong pickup for the Mets if he continues on this developmental path. All right, well, all of that conversation about last year's international signees who got off to good starts uh, to their pro careers is in advance of the 2024 international signing period, which begins on January 15th. We will have full coverage on that uh, day we like to refer to as uh, the day of Jesse Sanchez, Jesse Sanchez day. Um, so uh, definitely be following Jesse on Twitter and MLB Pipeline. We'll be bringing you all the signings that start coming in 
uh, becoming official on that day, uh, again, January 15th. So thanks very much to Ed Casey for setting us up with that question. And that is going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.